Jesus once told this story, pretty short little story. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. It's a beautiful little short story. Might leave you with a few questions, like why on earth you're burying stuff in the ground? Why, like, how did this guy just find it and just get away with it? Wouldn't the owner, like, whoever buried that, wouldn't, wouldn't they get involved? Wouldn't they come and get their treasure back? But believe it or not, back in Jesus' day, this was a pretty common thing. They didn't have, like, you know, a banking system like we have. They didn't have savings accounts and all that. So what you would do with your treasure is you would dig a hole in the ground that you owned and you would bury it. And the, the law was, well, whoever owns that field owns everything buried there. So you could go out in your backyard and just dig a big hole and throw a, you know, a bag of money or a box of money or whatever in there, and that was basically the safest place for it. It would keep it safe from a storm, it would keep it safe from a thief. But in the case of, of this man, he goes along and he, he finds this in this field and he realizes it and he runs off and he does everything he can to buy that field. And so whoever owned the field, it's their own fault. Like, it's their own fault that they didn't remember their treasure was buried there and say, whoa, 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 you're not buying that. You know, they just, they let him buy it. They let him buy it. Or maybe, maybe once he got all of his stuff together, they thought, well, I'd rather have that than what's buried in that field, so there you go. Now, for most of us, like, if you went to look at a, at a brand new house, this beautiful house, maybe a one-of-a-kind house, and you're like, we, I would love to live in this house. I'd love to own this house. But by the time you got the asking price, it was like, well, we're going to have to sell our house, we're going to have to sell all of our cars, we're going to have to drain our retirement, empty out all of our investments, max out all the credit cards, sell all the furniture, like, that's what's going to take to get this house. You would probably tell the realtor, no deal, we're not doing that. Or, if you made the deal, probably night one in that house is you're just laying on the floor with nothing, you, don't, you sold all the blankets, all the pillows, you got nothing, you're just sitting there and you can't even turn the utilities on because you don't have any money. You'd think, what have we done? You would not feel joy. You would probably feel crushing anxiety and depression and regret. And you think, I'm an idiot. What have we just gotten ourselves into? But the man in Jesus' story, in all of his joy, it was in his joy that he went and he sold everything he had to get this one field because of the treasure that he found there. In all of his joy. So in, in Jesus' story, giving 100% doesn't create anxiety or depression or regret, it creates this overwhelming sense of joy. Like, this is the best decision this guy's ever made. doesn't matter that he's got nothing left. He, he's got what really matters. He's got the field with the treasure, and that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus' story is not about, well, this man found so much wealth in that field that made it worth it. No, that's not the point. The point is, he sacrificed everything in joy for the kingdom of heaven. So our expression, obviously, we're talking about generosity this morning, and what we mean by generosity as a church is giving our time, talents, and treasures joyfully. And notice there's, there's three areas there. There's not just one. It's not just about money. It's also your time and your talents. And God wants us to use all three of those places in generosity. Not just, we don't just get to pick one and guard the other two. No, he wants all of it. But sometimes generosity doesn't feel like it, it's, it's very joyful, right? So how can we as a church grow in our generosity? Because if we grow in our generosity, 
Jesus teaches, well, then you'll also grow in your joy. So if you personally grow in your generosity, you'll become a more joyful person. As a church, if we become more generous, we should also become more joyful. That's how it works. And it's kind of the upside-down way of God's kingdom. So first, let's talk about this area of being generous with our, with our time. So Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, 15 through 17, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Another way to translate that would just be making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. See, the days weren't just evil in Paul's day. They're, they're still evil. There's a lot of good in the world, but there's also just an awful lot of evil in our world. And Paul says you've got to keep your eye on the Lord's will if you want to know how you should make the best use of your time. Because there's so many ways, unwise ways to spend our time, and they just abound. There's all kinds of ways we can get distracted and focus on things that don't really matter. And so Paul's whole point is, hey, measure your time by the Lord's will. How, how can you do that really well? Now, of course, there's some, there's some obstacles we face to being generous with our, with our time. So I'm going to uh, show you a little demonstration what I mean by that. So there is a professor many years ago that did this uh, experiment with his with his class, and so we've got, you know, I've got two equal-sized jars, I've got two equal-sized cups full of sand, and here's, and then I've got some rocks and some pebbles. So here's, here's what happens. If you begin to schedule your life, and you say, okay, let's get, let's just, let's just see how full we can get it. So if I, you know, dump in all the sand, dump in all the pebbles, and then if I decide, all right, now I'm going to throw in the rocks on top. That's it's pretty full. Not all the way full, but it's, it's there. So, you know, if the sand is like the little stuff in our life and the pebbles are the medium-sized stuff and the rocks are the big things, you can fit a lot in your life if you start with the little stuff and work your way up. You can get pretty close. But what if we, uh, what if we flip the order? And what if instead we start with the big stuff? counted this week in my office. Same amount of rocks. I was, I was, I was precise. I knew someone might come up and be like, well, you know, those rocks were a lot bigger than that one. Like, nope, I, I took care of it. All right. And then, you know, we'll work some, we'll work some pebbles in there and shake it up a little bit. And then, you know, we'll, uh, we'll get the sand in there too. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, it sure looks like I've got a lot more room in this jar than that jar. And I guarantee you, I put the same amount of stuff in both of these. Like, trust me, I spent, I spent most of Friday in my office, like, measuring out the sand and counting rocks and pebbles, and you're thinking, why are we paying this guy? All right, so 
So, I mean, that's just how our time works. If you start your life by figuring out, well, what's the big stuff? If you get the big stuff in first and then do the little stuff, you can actually put way more into your life than if you start with all the little stuff and then at the end, like, oh, shoot, we got big stuff to put in there. And this is a lot of times what happens with our time, is we're really unwise with it. And we get distracted and we fill it up with all these things that don't really matter. And then we're left with not much left for the big stuff. I mean, if I wanted to, I mean, we could keep going here. I mean, I've got, I've got room. I could keep putting rocks in here, you know? We could just keep on going. And this is what Paul's talking about. He's talking about how do you spend your time? Do you have an eye on what the Lord's will is? Because the days are evil. So how are you using your time? That's what he's talking about. And for so many of us, the reason sometimes we struggle with being generous with our time is because we don't have any time left. But it's not because we really don't have any time left. It's because we've done a really bad job at managing our time. And we don't have any space for the Lord to interrupt us. We don't have any margin. We don't have room for the stuff that matters the most because we got too busy over here with things that don't really matter. And this is why keeping your eye on the Lord's will is so important because sometimes... We think the sand are the rocks. There's something that with just a limited perspective, when you don't have God's perspective, you just have a, a short amount of perspective, you think, well, man, this is, this is just so important. I've got to put my time into it. And it's like, no, it's, it's actually not that important. It's really not in the grand scheme of things. And so we have to be, be careful and be cautious about, well, how do we use our time? So that's what... Paul has to tell us about our, our time. Another reason we might struggle with time is just because when we're going to be generous, well, it's, it's got to be on our terms. It's got to be when it's convenient for us, or it's got to be using our time in a way that is comfortable to us. And many times, sacrificing our time, being generous with our time, means you're going to have to give up a little bit of comfort. You know, you may miss a UK game on a Saturday, and oh, goodness gracious, God would ever, you know, call us to do that, but he might. He might. Sometimes we've got to be willing to say, God, it's, it's your time, not just my time. Because when we're generous, it produces joy. So for help with this, you might, I mean, you might just need to ask yourself, well, how much time do I spend every week on certain things? You might actually need to do a time budget, and we actually have a resource for that on our website that you can go look at. You might need to actually see, well, how many hours a week do I spend on certain things? And am I putting a lot of hours into things that don't really matter? And do I have room in my schedule for like the big rocks that really do matter? And you may have to do some adjustments. You may have to free up some time in your schedule or change your priorities, get rid of some sand and make room for some rocks so that God can, can use you. Because many of us, we need to empty out our jars and fill them up differently so that we can be more generous. Now, Bill Summerlin served at 12th Street Baptist Church in Gadsden, Alabama. By day, he was a hospital administrator. By night, Bill was an extraordinary youth sponsor at his church. Bill, along with his wife, Ann, they opened their home to the youth group every Sunday night. And so about 30 students would pack into their living room. They'd sit on the floor, and they'd eat ham sandwiches and chips and brownies while Bill would give them a, a devotion that evening. And that's already after they had been at church from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. with choir practice and evening service and singing for the evening service and youth group. But they would go down the street to Bill and Ann's and they would still spend time together. And 
the Summerlins modeled for so many of those kids what it looked like to have a godly family, what it looked like to, to raise kids, to have a spouse, to serve the Lord. They just they showed you what it looked like. And a lot of those kids didn't, didn't have that at home. They didn't have that example in their own house. Now, if that story, maybe, maybe parts of it sound a little familiar because you've probably heard Regina Cox talk about Bill Summerlin a few times because Regina grew up at 12th Street Baptist Church in Gadsden. And Bill and Ann Summerlin made an impact on her life when she was a student, one of those 30 students, sitting on the living room floor of their house, eating ham sandwiches, and listening to him talk about Jesus. The Summerlins, I mean, they chaperoned so many of their, their trips, and they opened up their home whenever students needed it. They were constantly at the church doing things for the youth group. All those hours that Bill and Ann invested made a difference in so many people's lives. And for us here, we get the benefit, I've never met Bill, but we get the benefit as a church of what he did in Regina's life. And of course, her husband Ben gets that benefit, her kids and now her grandkids and so many people in our church and community, they get the benefit from a man they've never met who spent so much of his time. I mean, I'm sure being a hospital administrator was stressful and busy, but he still gave so much of his time for a group of kids in his community. Because when you're generous with your time, it creates a ripple effect. People you will never meet will benefit from the time that you give. Now let's talk about talents. And uh, if you're not familiar with that word, the word talent, I don't just mean like a gift that gets you on TV, like, you know, America's Got Talent. I mean like spiritual gift, skills, and abilities. Because we all have things that the Holy Spirit has supernaturally gifted us with for service in the church. We also have things that for some reason, you're just naturally good at it. You don't know why, you can't explain it, you're just good at it. And maybe that's because of your parents or genetics, who knows what. But then there's other things that you worked really, really hard at, and over years and years and years, you learned how to do it, and you, you've gotten pretty good at it. So those are all things that make up our talents. Now Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says this, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So we all have different talents, different skills, different abilities, different gifts, but we get them all from the same God, and they're all for the exact same purpose. They're for the purpose of building up the church, they're for the purpose of making Jesus known in the world. And maybe a lot of us, uh, we don't use our talents because you honestly don't know what they are, right? Maybe you've never done a spiritual gifts assessment, which we have a link to one on our website, so you can go in. If you've never done one, you can go take one this week and see, well, what, what am I spiritually gifted in? And that assessment, I will tell you, probably is not all the spiritual gifts. It's, it's most of the big ones that we hear about in Scripture, but there's, there's others. And maybe you just need to sit down and think about, well, what am, what am I good at? What do I like to do? Or what if, I, what if I just, by nature of my job or my career or, or education, what have I learned how to do and I've gotten pretty good at it? And how could I use that to serve others? Because there are just so many needs out there. And even if you think, well, I don't think anybody, like this, this is a weird, odd gift. I don't think anybody ever is going to need this or use this. You might be surprised at the needs somebody has. And it's like, 
I actually need somebody who's really actually good at that. Like, we just, we just need everybody. The church needs everybody on board because everybody's been given something to contribute, something to offer, something that you can do that the Holy Spirit puts you here in our church at this time for a reason. And you're the person who has that and brings that to the table, and we really need you. So if you, if you don't know what you're good at, it's not too hard. You can figure it out. You probably have a pretty good idea of what that is. Because the Holy Spirit gave you that gift to help connect other people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you about one person that I saw use their, their talents in an interesting way. So uh, Lyle Welch was a math professor for many years in Michigan and then he, uh, in southern Missouri, in Joplin, Missouri, where he retired. And I met Lyle and his wife while I was in school in Joplin. And so, you know, Lyle's this, you know, math professor, understands more about math than I could possibly possibly learn, and he picked up this hobby of making geometric shapes out of mathematical principles as art. So I brought some pictures of them, and these have actually, like, they've actually been displayed in art galleries. Like, people really like this stuff. People have paid him to make some of these so they could put that in their house. Like, and every time, he, can ex he could explain to you if he were here what the mathematical principle is behind all of these. There's some, you know, a theorem or a postulate or some, something about these that the only reason they work is because of something in math, you know? And he got into doing that. And then he decided, well, you know, he's pretty good at building stuff, designing stuff, using math to make things work in real life, so why not use that for the church? So he started designing set designs for his church's worship team. So he would work on you know, you can see there's some geometry in there. There's some math involved in that, shaping that, making that work. I've got another picture for you. So he would make these designs and help out the worship minister at his local church with those things for their stage. That's just one way he could use a career in mathematics and a little bit of a side hobby of building things in his garage to the glory of God. And so maybe some of you have something, you're like, I don't know if God could use that. He's got a way to use it. He's definitely got a way to use it. Because when you give your talents, it creates a ripple effect. There are people that, that didn't get a chance to really, they don't, you know, they don't know Lyle personally, they didn't get to meet him, but some people walked into church and thought, wow, that's really cool. And Lyle impacted people with the talents that he, that he gave. So lastly, let's talk about our treasures or money. And this is usually the topic that whenever the preacher talks about money, people get nervous. Because, you know, it's like, man, Justin wants a pay raise. What's, you know, what's this about? Or whatever it is. That's usually where our mind goes. And sadly, probably all of us can think of a situation of a ministry or a church or a pastor or somebody that took advantage of money. They told you all kinds of ways that you should give and all these reasons. And then you're thinking, well, they've got a really nice house. And they've got a private jet at the airport. What is going on? And it just, it starts to feel a little gross. And... Maybe some of you have had a run-in with somebody who, a minister or a church or something, some kind of a ministry, and they really misused money, and they really deeply hurt you by what they said and then what they did with money after you gave it. And I'm sorry about that. But here's, here's the deal. Jesus talked more about money than any other topic. And that's not an accident, because Jesus knew that money is deeply connected to the spiritual condition of our hearts. It really does so much in our lives. And so he talked a lot about it. So 
So I just need you to know this, because you've, you've given, we've, you've got our budget, you know, you've got the numbers, you've got the information, you can read that this week, but this is not about, hey, the ministry staff need more money, so please give more money. That's not what this is about. We do not get paid by commission. This is not about if our bottom line goes up, you know, I can finally get a new car and, and Rodney can, you know, do, do something or Caleb can do, that's not what this is about, all right? This is about if our bottom line goes up, we'll be more generous. And here's, and here's the deal. What Jesus has to say about money, it's never about a bottom line. And us becoming more generous as a church, it's not about the bottom line. It's actually about the condition of your heart. It's really what it's about. You know, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because here's what Jesus knew. Sometimes you've got to lead your heart with your wallet. And maybe you've, you've heard it said, uh, show me your checkbook and I'll show you where your heart is. You know, if, if some of you who are younger, it's show me your banking app and I'll show you where your money is. Like, I can tell you pretty quick. And that's so true, and Jesus knew that. And there's a lot of times where our money changes how our heart is and with a condition of our heart because of how generous we are or how stingy we are or where we choose to put our money. And I'm convinced that when it comes to generosity, Satan wants to do whatever it takes to convince you to not be generous. Because if generosity makes us more joyful, he he doesn't want us to have joy. He doesn't want that for us. He doesn't want you to trust God more. He doesn't want you to put yourself in a situation where you really need God. He doesn't want that. He especially doesn't want your money being used for good. So I really am convinced whenever it comes to talk about money especially, one of the ways I think Satan tries to stop us from being generous is cynicism. Or you call it skepticism. It's the same thing. It's whenever somebody, especially when church, we start talking about money, just all these little thoughts start popping in your head like, how. I don't think that's really what it's about. Or, I mean, I know they say that, but are they, is that really what they're going to do? Like, come on. And you start to have all this cynicism and skepticism, and you just think there's some secret plan they're not telling us about, and they're going to mishandle our money, or, well, I, I really want my dollar to go over there, and, and I want to control where that money goes. I don't want you to decide where it goes. And it just, you just get all these, these thoughts, and so what you start to do is you clench your fist around your wallet tighter and tighter and tighter, and as you do that, you close your heart off more and more and more. And I'm convinced that's one of Satan's best tactics to stop us being generous. It's just hold on tightly to it. They don't know how to handle it. They're going to misuse it. You can't trust them. Da-da-da-da-da. On and on it goes. But Jesus says, hey, where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be. If something's up with your heart, you should really check your spreadsheets and your budget and your bank account and see where things are going, because that might be what's happening. So a helpful starting place for generosity with money is called the tithe. And if you've grown up in church, you've heard about the tithe, you know about the tithe. The tithe is you know, giving 10% of your income to the local church. The tithe is not just giving 10% to anything. In the Bible, the tithe is the local church. It's not about I'm going to give a little over there, a little over there. I'll give to this nonprofit and this organization, this charity, and it all adds up to 10%. That's not the tithe. The tithe in the Old Testament, God said, you bring it into the temple, you bring it to the tabernacle, you give it to the local church. Because God, God has things in the Old Testament. He says, here's what I will do with that tithe. And he sets up rules and, and laws and practices around it. But that's just a good starting place. 
is that 10% number. Because in the New Testament, Jesus doesn't command the tithe and say, you all better start tithing. He doesn't do that. Because he actually asks us to give everything. He asks us for 100%, not just 10%. So some of you may be like, Jesus, I really wish you would have told us all the tithe. That would be a lot easier than 100%. But in the book of Acts, the first Christians, it says they came to the apostles and they gave them everything. They put everything at their feet and the apostles decided where all that should go. They connected what people had to what people needed. That's what they did. And so here's the deal. If you've never even tithed before, if you've never given 10% before, I get it. That can be really scary, right? It can be a scary thing. So my challenge for you is not, hey, next week start tithing. It's, can you get to 10%? What's the next step? What are the steps you can take to get to 10%? Maybe, for example, maybe it's this. Maybe say, hey, by February 2023, can we be tithing? Can we be doing 10%? That means every month, just change your budget by 1%. You just give 1% more to the local church. And that even gives you two extra months worked in there that you can take a little extra time. You can make a mistake. You've got some room built in. But maybe that would be what you could do. Because as you, as you kind of change your budget, that's going to also have an effect on your heart. Now, if you don't have a budget, if you have no idea how much money you're giving, that could make it kind of hard to know, well, are we tithing? I'm not really sure. So if you don't have a budget, uh, great news for you. This Wednesday, we're going to help you out. So Rodney and Carrie Joe are going to lead a budgeting workshop this Wednesday night at 6 p.m. So if you're just like, we don't really have a budget, or we kind of have one, but it's a little bit of a mess, and it's crazy, and I don't know what to do, they, they will help you out. Trust me. After being here for, what is it, nine, ten months, Rodney's very organized. You know, when I... When I start spending a little too much, he's like, hey, cut it out, kids. Stop buying all these darn books for your sermons. What's going on? So he, he will help you if you're like, you know, he, him and Carrie Joe will kind of help you just to be a good steward of what God has given you. And now if, if you've been tithing, if you've been tithing faithfully for a really long time, my challenge for you is, what are the steps you can take to go above and beyond the tithe? Because the tithe is great. But Jesus really calls us to so much more than that. So maybe you need to sit down and, and maybe you need to make a little goal of, hey, what, could, we could we increase that regular giving by a percent or a few percent? So what, would, what would that look like? What would that be like? And maybe there's some things you can do in your budget to get there as well. Now, Brett Scott, he serves currently as a sheriff's deputy in Ozark, Arkansas. And not long ago, he wrote this on his a Facebook story. He made this post, and he called it How Blessings Work. So I'm just going to read you what, what Brent said. Today, the Ozark police chief and I had to go to the crime lab in northwest Arkansas, and we stopped at a Chinese buffet in Fayetteville. While we were eating, I noticed an older couple sitting across from us. As they got up to leave, the gentleman walked over to our table. He said, I just want you two to know there are a lot of us folks who support what you guys your lunch is on me. Then he dropped two $20 bills on the table. We both said that wasn't necessary, that we couldn't accept it. He insisted. I don't ever get down to your town, so nobody can say I'm trying to bribe the police. He went on to tell us, I've got two kids who work for Washington County. I appreciate what you guys do. Then he walked away. $40 was too much to cover our lunch. Ours only cost $25 together. While we were finishing, a single mother came in with her three young children. They sat near us. Every time they'd go to the buffet, one of the little girls would wave really big over at me. She was clearly enamored with our badges and guns. 
So I slipped the extra money to the waitress and told her to put it toward their bill. A short time later, their mother exclaimed out loud, thank you very much. Today, someone blessed us. Then we blessed someone else who never expected it. I know at least one little smiling girl who was touched by an older gentleman's gesture despite them never having met each other. That's how blessings work. When you're generous with your treasure, it creates a ripple effect. People you've never met will get the blessings of what you have given. It creates joy in you forgiving, and it creates joy in the one receiving. So like Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. What would it look like in your life to give up all you had for that treasure? What would it look like? And if we really want to be a generous church, we need to look and sound a whole lot more like the man in this little parable who in all of his joy went and sold everything he had for the kingdom of heaven. And here's the thing. We do this, we're generous, because we've been given everything when we deserved nothing. Because Jesus, he did not deserve the death that he went through. He did not deserve to go through all of the punishment and trials that he had. We don't deserve the forgiveness he gave us. None of us have worked hard enough. None of us have done anything worthy of being completely forgiven for everything wrong we've ever done or said or thought. We don't deserve that. And yet, he's so generous, he gives that to us and so much more. He didn't just say, well, you're forgiven. He could have just been like, well, you're forgiven. But he also said, you're forgiven, and I'm going to be your friend. I'm going to be with you always. And not just that, but they said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send the Holy Spirit to come live inside of you when you choose to follow me. How about that? And then even more than that, he said, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he said even more than that. He made so many promises to us, and God is incredibly generous towards us. We don't deserve anything. Even if God would have just been kind of like, fine, I'll forgive you, whatever, and then just sort of went on his way and, and left us here to figure out the rest of life. We go, well, that's, that's a pretty decent deal. But he did so much more than that. He decided to pursue a relationship with us when we don't deserve anything at all. And that same kind of generosity is the generosity we can give to others. And so what we're all being called to today, what we're all being challenged with is how can we grow in our generosity so that we can share with others through generosity that they get so much more than they deserve. And it's all because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so very much for the gift of your son and just for how incredibly generous you are and that you have been towards each and every one of us. And God, I'm really thankful that as a church, You've, you've blessed us, you've taken care of us, you've provided for us in so many ways, and that we've been able to pay off you know, the, the debt on the building. And so now, God, help us to just turn that kind of generosity even more outward, in far more powerful and impactful 
ways. And God, I just pray the same words that, uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians, and that you would allow the generosity that we have, the things that we do, to be immeasurably more. That the gifts we would give, the time we would give, everything we would give and do for you, you would just multiply it and do even more with it than we could ask or imagine. So Jesus, it's in your name that I ask for your help in this. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen.